Hey, yo, what's good, Internet? It's the Harvest of Colin Atrophy, and I'm here to welcome you to episode 19 of Radio Harvester. And I just want to say I'm sorry that this didn't come out last month, but my kid sister got married, and I was the priestess at the wedding, and there was a lot of preparation involved. Mazel tov to Emma and Danny, by the way, beautiful couple. And uh, I just didn't get around to it, and that's my bad, but this one was worth the wait. The guest this month is my friend here in Austin, Texas, Faiza Kricheni, who sings in two local bands, Bondage and Body Pressure. I'll put links to both of those in the episode description. And uh, she also teaches at Austin School of Film, and we talk a little bit about filmmaking and how she got into that. And she's also just generally speaking one of the most outspoken, coolest, toughest, doesn't take no shit ladies in punk in Austin. And I think... That's the kind of people I gravitate towards, and I, I think she's a really compelling and interesting person involved in punk, and I wanted other people to hear what she has to say, what meager other people listen to my dumb podcast. Who knows? And uh, I just want to say I'm sorry in advance if I feel I seem a little scatterbrained during this interview, but right before it happened, I had spent a few hours at the state senate building listening to complete dickheads testify in favor of a state bathroom bill here in Texas. And I had just been like basically in the Senate chamber weeping for hours uh, while my trans brothers and sisters were getting their rights taken away. And then I just showed up to do an interview. It was a bad idea, but you live and you learn, right? So I don't know. Here it is. up in Austin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so what was your introduction to punk? Like, what was your first show or how did you decide? What, what did you see where you were like, I need to be punk now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, well, one of the first bands that I really liked was Nirvana. Uh-huh. And I was super into them. And I remember going to Highland Mall with my mom, which is no longer there. It's ACC now. Uh-huh. Um, and there was a bookstore there. And my mom was like really, really cheap and really wouldn't buy things from the mall unless it was from like JCPenney's. Okay. And there was a bookstore there and there was this Kurt Cobain book that had just come out. And it was like, it was a dumb book. It wasn't like a profound Kurt Cobain book, but like I asked her to buy it for me. And it took me like begging her and begging her and begging her. And finally she bought it for me and I read it. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm the age, I'm 28. So it's like, I grew up with the internet, but I know what it's like to not have the internet. So when I was like, 11 when my mom bought the bought me this book it was like we had dial up you know books weren't something that you could like order on amazon and get shipped to your house and read about beforehand like you physically had to go to bookstores and so i just saw this book and i was like kirk cobain fuck yeah and she bought it for me and so it's two things it was that book because in that book he talks about um painting his shoes with checkers because a person in the Melvins had the checkered vans, which I didn't even know were like an actual shoe. I didn't know the checkered vans were an actual <laughs> yeah, shoe. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, he's painting his shoes like checkers, like the guy in the Melvins. So then I like did a little research about the Melvins and that kind of took me through a wormhole. But at the same time, um, I went to a middle school called O'Henry and it is in Terrytown. But um, I grew up in East Austin and they did busing to like better schools. Right. So, I would say like 
80% of my school were rich white kids, and um, but some of them were cool rich white kids, sure. which I met um, this kid named Duncan who actually lives in Austin still, and he was in the band called The Snobs. Cool. Um, and they like played posi numbers and went on tour when they were like 12 years old, and like they were like they were a straight edge hardcore band. That's so sick. But you know he was kind of snobby but he was my friend and like he would play shows in Austin I never really went to any of them and then another friend of mine Danielle Starry who also still lives in Austin was in an all-girl punk band called Cat Scratch and I just thought that that was super cool because you know there were these kids that obviously had so much privilege that their parents bought them instruments and like drove them to shows and like they had access to this thing that my mom didn't even like understand nor care about sure um but it wasn't until the summer of seventh grade um i went to emos and emos had matinee shows back when it was on red river Uh and i went and saw agnostic front okay and that was my first show and they played with the casualties which suck (laughs) but uh i went to see agnostic front but at the time agnostic front was only like playing all of their like really shitty like street punky type stuff okay um but that was my first show that i went to and then through like these people that i went to high school with we went to um austin high which i ended up dropping out of but um duncan went there and i ended up meeting this kid rusty kelly who's the duncan's also in total abuse but he's a singer of total abuse and we sat behind each other or I sat in front of him in biology because his last name was Kelly and my last name is Scrichenny and he like kind of knew who I was from like going to like stupid one-off shows and like parties or whatever like as an eighth grader and um and he ended up talking to me and then he ended up kind of exposing me to like emo and stuff like that. So I got into like emo and screamo at the same time, you know, when you're that age and also like growing up with and without the internet, like you could be into like Seisha but also into Minor Threat and also, right. you know, you, you like kind of into everything. So um, yeah, we hung out and he was in a band called Toro Okada, which was like an emo band in Austin that a lot of people liked. and. Keep in mind, he's like 15 at this point, and right. I'm 14. And um, then we actually started dating, <laughs> and we dated up until I graduated, or he graduated from high school. But we started our my first band. I started was with him, so that like kind of opened up a lot for me. Um, we used to like book shows in Austin at a 24-hour laundromat until it like got written up in some like college paper, and the owners came, and then the cops came. Just like, but the owners were actually cool. They were like, "We want to see what's going on here," but then yeah. the cops shut it down. That was when I was like 16. I went on my first tour when I was 18, and then it just kind of like, you know, yeah, grew from there. What was that been? The band that I was in in high school was called Architects, but then we actually changed our name. Um, when we went on that tour because there was a big like shitty metalcore band from the UK called Architects and okay. like people kept getting us confused so we actually posted on this message board called Texas Hardcore it is <laughs> I just want to say this on the fucking record the worst message board that I've ever been a part of the people that posted on there were the most misogynistic pieces of shit and racist and fucked up to me but I still like just kept going because I cared about Texas and I cared about hardcore and it was a way to like find out about shows but fuck all those people 
That is a um, deep indictment because message board culture is generally so bad. Oh, it's so bad, but it, it was even worse yeah. than what you think bad would be. Like, people told me to go back to my toilet bowl country kind of bad. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and those people still try to talk shit about me to this day, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, we posted on there asking for people to think of a new name for us. <laughs> <laughs> that rules. And uh, this guy named Dennis, who lives in Houston, who's cool, um, he like came up with the name Faith Healer, which we were like, oh, that's a cool name. But then when we were trying to buck our show, people thought we were like some weird Christian band, and we were like, no. But uh, yeah, then that was our name, and we like released like an LP on our friend's label in New York, Inkblot Records. Um, and then that band kind of died out when Total Abuse started, and then I joined other bands, and then, yeah. So we never officially broke up. So technically... Technically, we could do... Actually, somebody asked me, like, a few months ago if we would do a reunion, and Brian, who's in Body Pressure with me, was like, uh, no. <laughs> no? No. Songs we wrote, like, almost 15 years ago? No. Yeah, I mean, we're not Coxbar. <laughs> no, no. You don't need to. Yeah. You don't need to do a reunion. Agnostic Front and the Casualties is such a funny first show. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone there. My mom dropped me off. It was in the summer. It was really hot. I just remember like not knowing if I could go to the bar to like order like a soda. Yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. Being really scared the whole time I was there. That place was awesome. I've had friends from here for a while, and obviously being here, it's really there's like a deeply entrenched punk scene that goes back mm-hmm. you know to the beginnings of punk essentially yeah MDC and the big boys and shit yeah the dicks um but yeah I saw the casualties so much when I was a kid really yeah <laughs> cause like I was street punk in New York even though there wasn't um the same like subcultural codification going on via the internet there was just enough people going to every kind of show that like I was like no I don't like emo yeah At yeah 14 I was like I'm a street punk <laughs> I spike my hair with glue and I drink valentine 40s and I go to street punk shows and emo is for people from Long Island <laughs> it's like my uh, my rationale yeah but which is funny because now like I listen to bands that I apparently sound like like bands by young people today that sound like emo bands from before that I never heard. Mm-hmm. And Becca's like, what What are you doing listening to this shit? And I'm just like, I don't know, it's cool, right? And she's like, sounds like cursive. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what cursive sounds like, so it's all brand new. Yeah. So what was the next band? Like, tell me about your uh, so, A-feeler, and then what are you doing? So, actually, it was like a really big jump after that. So it was, I was in Faith Healer, and... Were you singing in Faith Healer? Yes. Okay. I've never played an instrument in a band but I'm going to play an instrument band this year, so I'm super stoked about that. But, so I was in this band, so I was in Faith Healer, and we were still playing shows, and we had so many lineup changes, and, like, Rusty had, like, stopped playing with us, and then, because there were two singers, <laughs> me right. and Rusty, and... Um, oh, that's a good move. Yeah. <laughs> and we, um, we needed somebody, and then I think somebody else was playing some, We had so many lineup changes, I don't even remember, but the last, like band lineup was me Brian Taylor who was in a band with my listen with me with me and he's in body pressure mm-hmm. um, and then it was Chris Olsh who's in like Vasca and like impalers and all uh, of those bands band um, and then I can't even remember who was playing drums but we met or I met 
Chris through the same shitty message board, Texas Hardcore, and uh-huh. we put, I think I like straight up just posted on there like need a bass player or something, and he and I was like need somebody that like isn't busy all the time, and I like vaguely remember him saying something like super funny like, um, like. I'm just a freshman in college like is that too busy for you or something and then when like we ended up meeting him and like he's the same age as me and all right he might be a little bit older and yeah we just like hung out so then this so then this next part is like it gets tricky because then Chris gets lumped into this next band that I was in so then so I was playing a show with Faith Healer um, at Red 7 that's no longer here and um, I was dating this guy that worked there and drinking underage. Sorry, Jared, but I was. <laughs> and um, Jared Owens signed Sidewinder now. But I was always like the little bad kid that like wouldn't not drink. And so they just knew they had to put up with me. So I was sure. just like there, like playing a show, like drinking, hanging out with friends. And um, this guy, Alex Hughes, who was in a band called Hatred Surge, where he played all of the instruments, had just moved to Austin or was in the process of moving to Austin and he was like at the show and he uh, came up to me and he was like hey what's up I had actually never talked to him before but when I was in high school when I was like 16 at this point I'm 18 I was like 16 Rusty and I used to lie to his mom and say that we were like staying at each other's houses because we our parents were kind of cool in the way that they we were like nerdy stupid kids that didn't really do anything bad so like I would stay at his house or or he would stay at mine Um, so we would lie to each other's moms and then we would go to shows out of town and then just like come back the next day Um, so we went and saw like Hatred Surge's tour kick off in Houston with Insect Warfare and it was the first time that I had ever seen a band because they were totally like despise you worship Mm -hmm. that had female vocals on um, recordings Um, but the singer the woman who was singing didn't play live which we didn't know and so we got there and I was like oh I was like so bummed about it um but like fast track like six months or maybe a year and Austin he like comes up to me didn't even know that the dude knew like who I was because I was in like these little like shitty screamo bands and he was in this super awesome band and he was in like a ton of other bands um and he was like hey like um I was just wondering like if you would be interested in doing vocals for Hatred Surge and I, I remember like I was at the bar and I was like what what and I like turned to people that were bartending I was like did you hear this shit did you hear this shit because wow. I loved Hatred Surge sure and and then I joined that band and it was still only me and him because he played drums guitar and bass and then did vocals and the, like he recorded everything and wrote everything right and then he had a, other people do like guest vocals and so he wanted me to come on and do vocals and I was like fuck yeah like that's awesome so then I met like because he was a lot older than me I met all of these like super rad people like his backing band for like one um, like short tour was Iron Lung another tour it was the Endless Blockade Um, we had people like locally so I got exposed to like a lot of stuff like super quick Um, but then he but then like after being in the band for like a year and a half he was like I really want to like get a guitar player and a drummer that will just like be in the band I want to like start doing that and I was like okay cool and I was like you should get Chris Olsh and he was like oh the guy that was in your band and I was like yeah 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 so Chris comes and Chris is a fucking amazing musician 
and then we posted on another message board. Yeah, that's uh, how people do things. Called Vuel Vinyl, like, oh, like just like, yeah, fishing around for like drummers and um, this guy that lived in San Antonio named Mike Sharp, who is in a million bands now in Austin, um, like, was like, had just gone on tour with some really big band because he was just like this dude that would just like fucking drum all of the time and so he tried out I can't remember what the band was it was like some big metal band he like they lost their drummer and he like tried out via like a video and he was so badass that they like took him to Europe but they were all like 10 or 15 years older than him so it like didn't really work out and he ended up quitting but I was like we should get him and then so then he came and I don't really like it's kind of hazy at that point but we all just kind of started playing together and then I was in that band for a while and then some weird shit happened, and then I stepped away from it. Sure. Um, but at the same time, I was starting another band with Brian um, Taylor, who's in Body Pressure called Mindless, and it was kind of the same style as Hatred Surge, but less, like, grindy and more just, like, no comment, like, super fast, like, power violence stuff. Cool. Um, so we did that, and then, yeah, and then we just kind of stopped doing Mindless and started another band. So apparently that band is also, like, mm-hmm. not officially broken up. And we had a cool drummer in that band, Ariel, and he moved to Oakland, and he's in some cool bands with uh, Matt Badenhop, who used to be in Sacred Shock here. And uh, our other friend, Eric, moved to New York, and he's now a lawyer now, and he's super tight. All right. Um, And actually, we had, like, a couple people fill in for a tour. One of them was my partner, Jeff, who had just moved from Pittsburgh, and he was in Brain Handle, and, like... Um, Kim Fuck and some other bands so after we went on a tour in like 2013 and then I kind of I was just like kind of tired of playing that style of music right and you know no disrespect to like that fan base but it's if you think that like Austin is like very you know cis male centric like that style of music is just like bombarded Power violence yeah yeah, yeah. No it's just shit. like just like machismo like bullshit attitudes and like people just saying disgusting things to me so I was just like I don't really want to do this anymore I know I was looking at the um, <laughs> I was looking at my the thing that ate Floyd LP which is like a early 80s Bay or, or it's a Maybe not early 80s, mid 90s, Bay Area, like Lookout, early Lookout comp. Mm-hmm. And it comes with a zine, because it's like, you know, 40 bands or something. Yeah, yeah. Each band has uh, a little like half page mm-hmm. ad, essentially, like where it's just like the information about their band. And like they laid it out clearly, and it's all hodgepodge. It's very cute and like very mid 90s. And in the back of it, there's some actual ads from actual labels and I got to the Slap a Ham Records ad and I was so stoked because I was like a spaz super fan when I was a child and I was really into that shit and I was like oh I'm so nostalgic and I look at the Slap a Ham ad and it's like two pictures of women in bikinis you know and it's like now that we got your attention with these tits why don't you check out some power violence and I was like was it like this I mean it was like this I just didn't notice because I was a 13 year old boy and I was like blissfully unaware of how terrible that is. Yeah. But like, yeah, that world is very dude-oriented in yeah. a way that is not so fun always. It's true, but then there were bands like Man is a Bastard who were inherently like super political, but I mean, can you really say Man is a Bastard is a power violence band? I mean, probably not, because they're, they're like kind of all over the place. 
yeah. but they were definitely like a part of that scene like it's it's interesting because when I was in Hatred Surge and Mindless when I would go on tour or be interviewed with people they would always ask me like well what do you think about current power violence and I always thought it was like a super boring question to ask yeah. because I always like correlated I correlate like certain types of music with certain time periods and even if I wasn't in that time period it's still like oh like mid 90s emo like you can't like you can sound like a mid 90s emo band but you can't be a mid 90s emo band so I felt the same way about power violence like it was a time and a place and like a scene and when people recreated that sound oftentimes I thought it was like super dumb <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. like so I never like I never like explicitly said that mindless was a power violence band we never said hatred search was a power violence band like we were right. just like oh we're just hardcore bands but we just play faster or Very something fast, you know hardcore yeah but um i think mindless's last show in texas we played with infest in dallas and that was kind of funny because mindless is named after infest <laughs> so it's like yeah that's great yeah the uh and after mindless body pressure starts yeah there was like a period i think there was like a year or so My family was going through some shit. My dad had cancer and passed away, and I was kind of focused on that, and I wasn't sure if I wanted to be in a band anymore, and I was just, like, making films and, like, art, but I really missed it, like... And, like, I still, like, can't imagine not being in a band because it just feels normal to me, so it felt not normal. But uh, we started Body Pressure... Um, it was actually just me and Melissa who plays bass and we, she had just moved to Austin. Like, I think it was like 2014 or something. And she had moved, she was from Dallas and moved to Colorado and then moved back to Austin, moved to Austin. And like, we started talking and she was like, yeah, I really want to like start a band. And I was like, I really want to start a band. So like for a while we were just trying to figure out like what, like who to play with. Yeah. And, of course, I've been in bands with Brian since I was 16. So I was right. like, Brian, play guitar in this. And he was like, okay, what do you want it to sound like? And I was like, this and this and this. And he was like, okay, cool. And then we were like, fuck. They're like, every drummer here is in, like, 200 bands. Like, we're not going to find a drummer. Yeah. But luckily we found Tommy, who's, like, an amazing fucking drummer. And we found him very weirdly. Like, we, me and Melissa posted on our Facebooks being like we're starting a hardcore band you must be a fucking feminist preferably a femme but if not like let's talk that's what we were preferring and then Tommy hit us up and Tommy is like very much an activist like in the political climate that we're in but also just like in music in general he has no problem with challenging people's opinions that he thinks are bullshit which I really really respect very important Um, but he started the band and it wasn't like he was like, yeah, uh, like, I can help you out and, like, we can get something started. And it wasn't, like, you know, final that he was going to be the permanent drummer. But then it just clicked and, yeah. yeah. And he's in, like, a million bands, but it works out. What were the this and this and this that you were saying? Like, let's start a band that sounds like this and this and this. I want to know what the um, influences were. So I've been in The whole time that I've been in bands, my bands have never... I've always been, like, too, like hardcore for punk too punk for hardcore too fast for this like Uh too slow for this so I wanted to just do something and I felt like even if I was writing things that I wanted people to listen to it was kind of being buried in like the style of music that we were playing so I wanted to just to do something that was super simplistic and had the message at the forefront of it right so when I was like 
we were kind of all over the place, honestly, when we were like giving examples, but like just to say like a very simple band, I was like, like Minor Threat, yeah, like SSD, yeah. like bands like that, that are just like no frills, no bullshit, like mm-hmm. just very straightforward, like hardcore punk. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like, it sounds like early NYHC to me, where it's like, there's like a little bit of that, like starting to get metal on the guitar solos or whatever, but like, it's clearly just a fast hardcore band. Yeah. And I loved, I, I saw you guys for the first time at that show with Gloss. That was our first show. Sure, Charles, that was your first show. I also think, was Bondage's first show at Ike's house? Yep, that was our first show. Both of those first shows. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I was like, this fucking band is great. I was so stoked about that show. I just moved to town. I was like, yes, fucking Gloss is playing. This is tight. I met Rel, like, I made my first visit here. And Feral Future played, and that was so cool. And then you guys played, and that was so sick. I don't think I watched Glue that night. Or even heard them because I was not, I was like very distant from punk for a couple of years while I was writing my book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I went in, Becca, Becca uh, was like, You gotta come watch Body Pressure. They're gonna be so good. And I was right. like, Okay. <laughs> and we went in and I was watching and I was like, This is fucking great. And you said something, and I had been to a few shows in Austin, like just visiting or like when I had like at Tamale House and shit, like Beerland or whatever. And you said something about like domestic violence or something, and you were like, "If anyone is dealing with this, come talk to me after the show. I know I have some resources or whatever." Like I forget what the like pretty pressing issue was that you were addressing, but I it was like the first time I saw a band in Austin talk about anything vaguely political on stage at a show, mm-hmm. and so I was really curious to like kind of just understand a little bit more about what's going on behind all that you know yeah like I don't know if it was that show or if it was another show at Cheer Up Charlie's where my friend Kim Smith came and like she, you know she went to like a ton of shows um, but she doesn't really go to many shows and she like came specifically to support us and to see us and while we were playing there was just some fucking bro that like kept pushing himself and so she was like trying to get him off so I jumped off stage and fucking choked him out that's what it was pulled, pulled yeah, 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 yeah 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 Okay, yeah, it was that show. Yeah, and then Melody threw him out the door. Yeah. Um, yeah, that uh, that was 100% what it was. I couldn't remember. Um, but I was just like, I was fucking stoked. I was like, okay, Austin might not be just a bunch of men talking all the time. Yeah. When did you drop out of high school? Um, I dropped out of high school when I was 17 years old. Well, it was like weird. So I guess I like technically dropped out. So I hated the school that I went to. They were super fucking shitty. And um, so I had like skipped a bunch of school and fucked off. I ended up like going to juvie for like two weeks because of it. And like the the judge was trying to like teach me a lesson or something. Um, And so I was like, I don't want to go back to school, mom. So there was this thing that you could do, which was sort of like an exit exam. But it wasn't, it wasn't a GED, but it was a GED. Okay. So I just did that. So I was out of school at 17. Whoa, okay. Yeah. So you said you had just been, like, hanging out, making films and stuff. Like, how did you get into that? So, Rusty, again. So, okay. like, um, so his mom ran this place called Center for Young Cinema, which is, ba- she basically started it um, because he wanted to make films at a young age and there were no avenues in Austin for young people, so, she, like, kids. So she was um, taking him to this place called Cinemaker Co-op, 
um, that was all adults and it had like, you know, big people like Gilmar del Toro and like Richard Linklater and all these people would like get together and it was a co-op and they would share their resources. This was like in the 90s when he was like, you know, 11 or 12. Sure. And so she would take him there and she met this guy named Barna who's like still around in Austin and um, and she was like, I want to start this, I want to start something for kids and so he helped her and so she was doing all these classes for kids. I never took any classes there but when I was in high school I would go and hang out and there was this older guy who actually still processes my, or uh, transfers my film to this dame named Kirk Hunter cool. and he's just like this kooky old guy yeah. with like big white hair that's just like crazy and uh, has made like a bunch of weird psychedelic films and stuff and um he taught me how to use a super 8 camera like in like 10 minutes and then i just like started shooting on super 8 and i would like send my film off and then i started actually interning at uh the center for young cinema because i had gone to juvie and i had community service hours (laughs) so yeah so like i started so then i was exposed to all this stuff and i had all these tools like make things and rusty was really into film and he's like an actor and is been in like movies and shit so like I had that resource and I had her and then I just had the people that were there so I never really actually took any film classes and I just kept shooting and shooting and shooting so I've been shooting on like film for like 12 years now and so then I like interned there for a while like to you know my community service hours and then I would um she would kind of call me in and out what was your internship were you teaching no, no, no. I was just helping them with whatever they needed help with, like doing like database stuff or like sure. whatever. And um, and like then I was in bands when I was like 18 and I was still in a band with him. And she would like call me in like, hey, I need you to help me with this stuff. Or, I need you to help me with that stuff. Like I need you to do spreadsheets or whatever for sure. me. Um, and the funny thing about Austin is like people that are from Austin that movie slacker is very much the truth like if you can do something people take notice because everybody is so fucking lazy like it's not like new york or la where like you actually have to hustle to like get gigs so i just would consistently show up when i was told to and like do a good job Uh and so they just kept telling me to come back and then it merged into this place called the austin school film yeah and they were like do the front desk so I did the front desk for a while and was helping with weird things but it was cool because the executive director her name was Erica Shomley at that time she would basically let me do whatever I wanted like if I was like hey I think that we should do a showcase of super eight films with local filmmakers she'd be like okay put it together so then I had all this experience like booking shows and this DIY like scene that kind of applied that to there Yeah. because it's kind of the same thing I mean these people are still like artists they're just making a different form of art right um so so then I kind of you know did stuff for them here and there and then I just basically worked my way up worked my way up worked my way up and because I'm like very much in the music world but I'm also very much in the film world Mm -hmm. a lot of the people that were working there back then weren't very much in either of them but I think that the Austin School Film is very much this place where and this is why we teach classes is that like if you want to go to college that's great but if you're trying to do something within like an art realm like take some classes and if you're good at it and you're consistent you'll get work like you don't need to go get a four-year degree in art school to be like a filmmaker or to be a painter or you know whatever so that's why we offer like these alternative education resources to people that want to learn the skills Uh so that they can 
create or if they can go work on crews or they can create their own content. So um, it's changed a lot since I've been there. I've been full time there as a director since I was 24. So now I'm 28. Um, So it was a lot of like from 18 to 24 and me like, you know, going on tour, not really being there, coming back, helping, helping them start like classes and then a bunch of stuff just happened at once and there were a bunch of shifts and people that were working there and the executive director was like do you want this job because I think that you can do it and I think you can do it better than the person that's already here and I was like okay cool what kind of films were you making when you started making films I've always just made like weird experimental films okay yeah I don't I don't think I've ever made a narrative film sure yeah that's cool and you've been doing that since you were 16 Mm -hmm. that's fantastic yeah (laughs) who's coming into Austin School of Film like what are the kids like I mean, it's so it, we teach youth and adults now. Oh, okay. So it's like, you know, kids from like eight years old to, you know, 80. Are um, they from the neighborhood mostly around where the... It's because it's on Cesar Chavez, right? It, we actually moved to Tillery. Oh, okay. We moved into like, we spent like a year developing a 20,000 square foot warehouse. Whoa. Yeah. Cool. So um, we, I would say like, I would say 70% of who we serve are adults and 20% are kids. Um, they're, I mean, they're people from all over. I mean, cool. we have students that come from like New Orleans and like Houston and da- we have one student that's a doctor that drives from Oklahoma City just because there isn't anything there. Like you can go to the community college and you have to take a bunch of bullshit classes that you right. don't want to take, but you can come here and like actually learn from people who are making films. And that's like the thing about the Austin School of Film is like we don't care like I don't even ask people like where did you go to school I look at their reel and like what they've worked on as far as like can you teach this and honestly like even if you are like a badass filmmaker or like a badass DP or like a cinematographer um, it doesn't mean you're a good teacher either so um, all of our teachers are people who like work in the industry and make either work on crews or they make their own films I feel like I know so many people from punk that are filmmakers now mm-hmm. like it's really it's like an interest it's been an interesting as we all get older to see like where people's creative outlets that like everyone still plays in bands but also like at some point just playing in bands stops being enough to like let yeah. let it all out you know yeah. and uh, it's definitely it's super interesting to me to see uh, where all that stuff goes and it's also I'm also interested in the idea that your like your history booking shows and like doing DIY stuff was an asset to the school yeah. of film. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you know. Do you know Golnar from the band In School? Mm-mm. She was telling me. Uh, I interviewed her like two years ago or something, and she plays an In School and like she used to coordinate Maximum and she was doing for a while. She was doing this magazine called Bitarov, which is like a. It's about. Uh, Iranian diasporic cultural production and it was like her and a bunch of other academics and they all got together and they were trying to get this magazine going and she said uh, when they were first she was the only one that had a background in punk and she said when they were first meeting and like trying to figure out how to do stuff they were all like well what if we do it wrong and she was like I don't know then we did it wrong we just gotta do it if we don't do it we're never gonna do it right and kind of like her the lack of fear of failure and her confidence in her abilities to just like coordinate something because of her history with punk ended up being this huge asset to getting the whole magazine off the ground and it's I like the ways that like our 
alternative structures have become useful to creating other cool shit in the world that like yeah. exists outside the realm of punk you know mm-hmm. well that's interesting that you say that because that's like what you just said on well what if we do it wrong we just have to do it that's literally our attitude at the Austin School of Film right like before like before when and I'm not saying that it was like this you know this nonprofit that sucked before I was there but they were serving I would say you know maybe like a couple hundred people a year mm-hmm. now we serve like 5,000 people a year yeah and it was because the people that were there in these controlled situations as directors were so scared and wanted to overplan everything uh-huh. that it's just like no let's just do it you just let's do just it. do it and the the person that's the executive director there now she has a punk background too cool. so like she used to be she used to like not really manage punk bands but like do like help them with PR and stuff and uh-huh. so she, like she knows the people in the dick she knows the people in the big boys like right. um, and she actually um, like do you know that band D-Day? Uh-uh. They were like a like a new wavy punk band from Austin, but like she she like put off their record. Her brother, who's like the head of Yale Finance and has a PhD and is amazing, was going to art school at the time and did uh-huh. the cover of it. Okay. Um, like it just like because yeah. they were like both into this you know this thing, and so she had the <laughs> she was the same way even just starting Center for Young Cinema. Like I want to start this because I want my son to have access to things. There must be other kids that want access to it. Right. I'm just gonna do it. Let's just you know. Do it. So you know there are like setbacks with like funding and stuff, but like. You know, we have a space. We It's the same way. Like in punks, you have a warehouse that you can do shows in. You have a PA and you have, you can make flyers. It's the same thing. We have a building. We have the assets for each classroom. We have a computer lab. Let's just fucking do it. And what do you think about, like, I, I know I have a lot. I'm feeling a sense of anxiety right now because of, like, how urgent everything feels politically in this current moment where like you know I just came from uh, hearing at the state capitol about a bill that would uh, make it illegal for trans people to use any bathroom essentially Uh, there's like a new ban that was just proposed the healthcare is being reformed in a way that's god awful and like I know like the last couple podcasts that I put out I felt weird like going online and being like Hey, I got listen to this interview I did with Ted Leo. You know, even though like yeah. he's cool, we all gotta listen to an interview with Ted Leo every now and again. But like, and like, no shade to him at all. He's great. Yeah. Uh, but just like, it felt like, how can I, how can I be doing this right now when there's all this other stuff that seems so much more urgent going on? But then there's this part of me that's like, well, no, we have to keep making the stuff that we would make anyway, and just also fight the fight. Um, do you think it's like important the ways that you're empowering people at the school of film to like have agency to create their own media? Like you don't think it's it's an unnecessary distraction to make art right now, right? Oh, no. And actually, I was having a discussion about this with my friend Miranda and she did this like really badass tour poster for body pressure and mm-hmm. she's an oh, that artist. poster looks great. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. Um, she's a tattooist and an artist and Um, She said something that really resonated with me well because it was very short and sweet and to the point. She was like, it's really important for me to be making art right now because sometimes that's the only thing that somebody can identify with. And I just thought that that was a very, like, short and sweet... Yeah, totally. Like, 
straight to the point on why it's important for people to keep creating things that they find important to them because that might reach somebody else and that might be their only like avenue of letting out aggression or feeling peace or feeling something other than what's going on right now intense anxiety every single day oh my god it's so stressful being alive yeah but also like i feel like the ways that it feels urgent to me now are as like a white dude or whatever are like not new to some people like I feel like it's, it's been disurgent for a lot of people for a really long time. Yeah, and I and I honestly feel that way too, you know. I feel like now a lot more people are paying attention because now white people are being affected. Yeah. And you know, my dad was here legally. I mean, he would have been deported. Right. Um and it's just something that when you are specifically to me when you are a person of color and you come from a family of immigrants there's always that feeling of urgency and you kind of grow up with this shield to the outside world of being suspicious and scared of everything so I mean my mom is still you know my mom is like the most anxious person I think I've ever met because of all of the shit that happened to her throughout her whole life. She has no trust for anyone. She questions anybody's motive being nice to her because she just, why are they being nice to me? Why would they be nice to me? I'm just some poor Mexican woman, you know? Um, So I definitely feel that. I'm glad that it's now affecting white people so that they'll get on the fucking boat. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's like bittersweet when like my mom called me the other day and was like, you know, I just want to say all that stuff that I kept telling you you were paranoid for when in high school when you would like argue at the dinner table that all police are horrible and that the government is a white supremacist endeavor. You were right. Yeah. You know, and I was like, well, that's not comforting. <laughs> I wish yeah. I had been wrong, you know, but like, I guess it's good that other people see that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing I noticed about Austin when I first moved here was that uh, the punk scene is like not as super white as many places I've been um, and New York the like kind of like peace punk scene that I fell into ultimately as a teen was pretty white but like the hardcore scene is not really and like the street punk scene was really diverse or like not really diverse but there were a, a fair amount of Latinos involved in punk in New York um, has it always been like that in Austin? Has it always been like kind of a brown punk scene? Um, or is that in more recent history? I don't know. Like, it's weird because I, and I know this sounds like really insane. I am aware, like I'm like, I, my name is Faisa Krichenny. Like I was always, I was always the person with a weird name. You know, I was always like the one non-white person, like in my group of friends. But I didn't really notice when I was like a teenager because I was just so happy to be a part of something that wasn't going to school with all of these fucking rednecks from Terrytown. They would talk about Mudden and George <laughs> W. Like, you know, and would call me racist shit. Right. That like, I, the one thing that I really, really love about the Austin punk scene that I think is kind of different now is that the older punks like for example like Ben Snake Pit or Chris Pfeffer they're older you know they're not even that much older than me but when you're a teenager and they're in their 20s it's very the dynamic is very off they were always so welcoming and nice and would play with your bands and would talk to you and would tell you about things that I didn't really think like oh these are all just white people you know because I felt 
felt more comfortable there than I did at school and I went to a mixed school sure. um, but now I notice that this is this is kind of like swaying from what you're saying but now I notice that there was like this code when you were growing up that like if you saw somebody that was like dressed a little bit different you're like oh that person's into punk like right. they're cool now because of like internet subculture you don't even know like it's just clothes are cooler now yeah everyone looks cooler <laughs> yeah. and it sucks because they're not punk exactly I know. so that's the thing that like kind of weirds me out a little bit like I might see people at shows and even though they're at shows they're not really at shows it's like a social thing you know yeah. like they don't really care about the bands and I'm like oh those people look cool but like, do they even give a fuck? <laughs> so it's yeah. like, it's it's weird. But I know that there are, you know, there are definitely like younger kids to give a fuck. But th- but there are even people like my age that like, I'm like, who are you? Where did you come from? Yeah. You do, do you just have cool clothes? Yeah. Do you just, <laughs> do you just dress well? Yeah, you look at the <laughs> V-Files website or whatever too much. The Yeah, it sucks. I was talking, I remember talking about that in some bar in Williamsburg and there was like some guy with tattoos that was singing along to an Avail song, but like definitely wasn't punk. I was yeah. just like, this guy's not punk. And like, what does that mean for me? And yeah. then like, I went, to, I went to Chattanooga, Tennessee for the first time and like some dude in a pickup truck threw a milkshake at me while I was walking down the street. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, this is what being punk is like, right? Like, yeah. it's not like every yuppie sings an Avail song because they all used to be into hardcore in high school or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in, in some ways, I, like, I think it's really cool how just like, like, gay teens are nowadays. Like, I think it's really yeah. sick. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was teaching at a middle school last year, and like, the teens were just like so queer, and and there was like these like, li- and like little like straight little boys would be teasing gay little boys not about the fact that they were gay just like any children teasing any other children in a way that was like would not have happened at my public school when i was 13. yeah like it would have been the like uh violent enforcement of masculine behavior was much more severe it's at least it seemed yeah so like on the one hand it's great i think it's great but on the other hand i agree with you i miss just like being able to recognize yeah the freaks you know exactly yeah because that felt good Mm-hmm. yeah just like you know who's on your team yep yeah you go to pittsburgh and like the members of any flag are everywhere or whatever like you see os rotten at the coffee shop and everyone's got a black denim vest yeah you're like oh finally yeah punks yeah yeah totally I had a weird experience there when I was there last a cat threw up in my face oh no that was bad but also there and people that are from there will exist there it it will um, admit to this there are no like Latinx people in Pittsburgh like there are basically no minorities in Pittsburgh it's a very segregated city so I went to a punk show there and I was the only non-white person at the show and it was really uncomfortable and that doesn't really happen in Austin or really Texas at all no so I'm kind of interested to go on this tour, you know, because we're going through the Midwest and just right. see if that's any different. I don't like know. Elsewhere, you know? Yeah. yeah. What was your experience touring? Well, what year was your first tour? Um, it would have been 2006. What was it, what was your experience touring in 2006? Was it like? It was cool. Uh, we went all over the U.S. It was like a four-week tour. <laughs> 
Um, it was cool because I was with like all of my friends. I was the only girl, um, but like it didn't, I don't know, my friends didn't treat me like I, you know, we were just all friends. Right. Um, and the shows were like, the shows were fun. It was still, it was still this very like DIY, like small, we had to print out like MapQuest, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, instructions yeah. on how to get or directions how to get places i remember pre-smartphone touring yeah <laughs> it was different mm-hmm. the and like stopping to call from a payphone because you had to call the house to see if you were in the right place or whatever yeah or asking directions from a gas station to a street hey, do you have a map of this town <laughs> yeah <coughs> you don't have enough minutes in your phone mm-hmm. or something yeah how did you get involved in like political stuff like did you always feel because like you're someone that talks really overtly about just like shit being fucked up <laughs> on stage. Yeah. And was that like, did you know that? Did you always know shit was so fucked up? Did you like, <laughs> was there a band or like a book that you read or something where you were like, oh, this like really articulates this um, feeling? Or like, did you used to be, did you used to be fucked up? Like, I know I did some dumb shit when I was young. Um, I don't, like, I'm, I've probably, like, said fucked up things when I was way younger. Sure, I'm yeah, sure we yeah. all did. But, so, I, I grew up in a house, like, my dad lived in Austin, but he was kind of like a deadbeat dad, um, and he didn't come into my life until later, so I grew up, like, with, my mom was, you know, a single mom. Uh-huh. She never dated anyone or never remarried or anything, and then it was just me and my sister, and, uh... I grew up just with this, like, incredibly powerful woman in the house always. So that was who I saw. Like, she worked a full-time job. She took care of, you know, her mother who was sick all the time. She took care of her brother who, you know, had a bit of trouble. And um, that was... Even though, like, she was kind of fucked up at times. And, like, you know, there are things that, like, I'm sure she didn't wish that she did to us. Like, she was abusive sometimes. But, like, I don't blame her for it because... She was a single mom, like, trying to raise two, like, fucking Hellraiser kids, <laughs> you know? And she's yeah. coming from this very, very, like, very, very Mexican background, not understanding, you know, why I'm into the things I'm into. Yeah. But being supportive, but not in a very overt way towards me. And so that I think that had a lot of... My sister always jokes that me and my mom are exactly alike, and that's why we always fight. Uh-huh. Because we're both very, very vocal as fuck people. Mm-hmm. And I was always told when I was little that I talked too loud or that I talked too much. And so as soon as I started reading about things that made sense to me like oh this is why people treat me this way or this is what it means that my dad is from the middle east like this is what it means that my you know my family is of immigrants like it all started clicking and just made me really fucking mad so i just started talking i also have to say that when we would go on tours or play shows or we'd go to monkey wrench books in austin they would have tons of zines and they were like four or five dollars or even like a dollar sometimes and I would just read them. So it was like this me reading into this world that I didn't have any exposure to through my mom. Like, my mom doesn't know what the word feminist means. Sure. She doesn't care. Like, that's not on her radar, you yeah, know? she's doing other stuff. Yeah. Um, and same with my dad, you know? Like, they're... 
but their personalities and even my dad even as fucked up as he was like his personality coming from a Middle Eastern country coming into the United States having this different view that wasn't American uh -huh. like also kind of infiltrated but I don't think that I was always like vocal on stage yeah. I don't I don't know though I don't really remember I do remember when I was in Hatred Surge that um, this the other person Alex um, told me to stop being so aggressive and it really Whoa. fucking pissed me off yeah it really pissed me off I was like so when these grind bands get on stage and they're like hey brothers let's fuck shit up that's okay uh-huh but me like getting in people's faces when I'm doing vocals and singing about things that I feel passionately about that's too aggressive fuck you yeah no so yeah let's Let's but but that kind of fueled the fire. Yeah, so that in mindless it got even I got even more vocal and then in body pressure I was just like, I don't fucking care. Fuck it all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're yeah. <laughs> as vocal as you are. Thanks. I, I for one appreciate it. Is Bondage the first band that you're in that's all women? Yes. Cool. Is that was that deliberate? Yes. Um is that is the experience different than like being in bands with dudes? Totally. Completely different. Yeah. Um, well, the last band I was in, Hatred Surge, not to like go into too much detail about it, but honestly, I really don't give a fuck at this point. But I was dating, um, I started dating the, the bass player, Alex, like a year and a half into it, and that ended super badly. Mm -hmm. And so... I never want, ever want to be in a person, <laughs> a band with a person that I'm dating ever again. Uh -huh. But, um, and then Mindless was like fine, but like I kind of just wanted to experience what it's like to be around other women, like in, an, in a creative environment. Because when I make films, I make them alone. Right. And, you know, when I do anything else, I do it alone. And so I just kind of wanted to see what it felt like. So before we had Bondage, Melissa, Jess, and I were in another band called Weekend Girlfriend, and we played one show. Cool. And um, it was actually Morgan played guitar in that band, and then it just didn't end up working out. But go that so that was the first experience going into a practice space um, with just all women. Yeah, and it was just I don't know. It was just I don't. I wouldn't say it was better, but it, you just it just felt more comfortable. Sure. So then when we started Bondage, we got um, Emma, who also played second guitar in Body Pressure, but she's neither in either band anymore. Uh -huh. um, she's kind of wanted to focus on art and stuff, but that was cool too because... I don't know. It was just like this different dynamic, and now we have Cece, and she's been she's been in a bunch of bands. She's also also in another all girl band, but she's been in like Phobia and like bigger bands like that. Okay. So um, with all dudes. Yeah. And it's just it's just this more like I'm I'm assuming this is what it feels like to be a dude in a band with all dudes. Where you just aren't. Like well, like where you can like joke and like. You're not scared that somebody's going to take it the wrong way. Uh -huh. And it's not not necessarily because dudes had no filter with me. Like, they would just say stuff and it would piss me off. Sure. But it's like, it's almost like you know, like, that's probably an inappropriate thing to say to somebody. You know, yeah. like, you probably shouldn't say that. Or just, like, little stuff like being on tour and really wanting to go to the hotel to shower because you felt gross and then 
you know a dude in your band being like why are you gonna shower you're just gonna get gross again and it's like when you're in a band with girls they're just like okay cool I want to shower too you know like it's not like it's not this thing but it's weird to me because I think that other dudes wouldn't say that another dude wouldn't say that to another dude I don't think like I, I don't think that they would try to fight going to Take maybe I, I mean it wouldn't be this thing like you want to look pretty is how I took that right. you know like just shit like that and and this band is really cool because everyone is vegan too okay so that was like another thing like being on tour with people who weren't and like who ate meat and like feeling like you were the person that put everybody out all Uh the time which i think is fucking stupid by the way because like if you eat anything you can literally eat anywhere like why not try to accommodate a person that is sustaining from certain things you know yeah yeah, I'm not vegan. Becca is. I do not feel like I've ever been put out yeah. by her being vegan. Like, a single time. Yeah, it's just fucking... It's Yeah, it seems weird to me to be, like, inconvenienced. Yeah, and I got, and I got like, shit talk. I think, I think more so than the, like, dude-femme dynamic <laughs> is the vegan meat-eater dynamic like honestly like I remember specifically when we were on tour with the Endless Blockade and like all of those dudes are veg and um, the people that we were with besides me and the band that we were touring with them with were all Uh meat-eaters and they wanted to go to Whataburger and of course I wasn't even going to object because I was like they don't give a fuck about like what I can eat so I was like whatever but um, Andy who's the singer of Endless Blockade and he was also in Shank he and he's from Scotland so he has this like really funny accent he like went into Whataburger not knowing because they're they live in Canada and then and he's from Scotland and then walking out and being like what the fuck is this I can't eat shit here and everybody in my band that I was in was like oh oh sorry and I'm like yeah fuck you guys like this is what I have to deal with all the fucking time where I'm going to the grocery store and like eating salad out of a bag like thank you Yeah, you gotta go to the fucking Whole Food Buffet, that nasty Whole Food Buffet on tour or whatever. Spend $30 on... (laughs) Go get a salad from Panera Bread, because that's all there is. I kind of like Panera Bread, just truth be told. I love it so much. I had never been until like a year ago, and I was like, this is kind of (laughs) good. Yeah, it's fucked. I used to go to this one in Queens, there was this, like... There's, like, a couple of shitty malls in Queens, and I used to go to this... There's, like, a Ulta Beauty, which is, like, the... Mm-hmm. Like, Nicki Minaj-sponsored uh, shitty nail polish store, is how I think of it, but they have all kinds of makeup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, Sephora. It's, like, it's like junior a, Sephora. Yeah, it's, yeah. like, um, it's like the Marshalls of Sephora. <laughs> yes! And, <laughs> and there was this one really shitty mall, and it had uh, Century 21, which is, like, the, uh, like, overstock... Uh, designer clothes store. Oh shit! Uh, which like there's three of them in New York. It's so sick. And then it had the Ulta Beauty, and there was a Panera Bread. And I would sometimes go spend like a whole afternoon there alone, just like buying nail polish and like trying on sweaters, and then, like <laughs> go get a salad and a giant iced coffee from Panera Bread, just like to do my full suburban <laughs> existence or whatever. Shit. I love it. it. Sounds like my kind of day out. Yeah, I'm all about it. But like also. I'm all about looking fly and I can't imagine being in a band with someone who's like I want to look cool on stage and being like 
you can't do that. I don't. I want to deprive you of the thing that's going to make you feel good, empowered yeah. on stage. Like if you don't feel fly, you're not going to perform as well. No, it's very important. Yeah, and I think the like, like labeling that like having tight nails or like having your eyebrows look good or whatever or doing your makeup right as high maintenance is so fucking stupid. Oh, totally. And that's honestly like how I felt sometimes. I think that's the only like weird dynamic that there was. There was the whole, we won't take you anywhere vegan. And then, uh, and then on top of that, like, I don't know, also just like complaining at how long I got ready. And it's like, sorry, bro. I don't just throw on a fucking t-shirt. Yeah. Like I want to look good. I want to look good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was actually talking to my partner the other day about this, and I was like, man, I'm kind of stressing, like, how many pairs of shoes should I bring? Like, <laughs> like how how like, how like am I going to pack for this? I haven't been on tour in a while. And he was like, I don't know. Like, I just take, like, a, a couple T-shirts and, like, a couple pair of jeans. And I looked at him, and I was like, does it look like I'm going to fucking do that? Yeah. <laughs> and he, was, uh-uh. <laughs> he was like, sorry. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I remember I was at the, like... What do they call it? The Latino Punk Fest or whatever that my friend Jose does in uh, New York. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, Crudos was playing, and I was like, there's like this super sick moment where me and Golnar were standing like at the side of the pit uh, and like kind of just like doing peanuts dances or whatever, like we used to do at shows <laughs> all the time. And this teen girl walked up to Golnar and like kind of tugged on her shirt and was like, Will you take me in the pit? Oh my gosh! <laughs> and Golnar was just like, come on, come on, let's go, oh, I'll shit. take you there. But there was this one point where I was up in the balcony, I don't know if you've ever been to C-Squat, but there's like this balcony above where the show space is in the basement, and I was up in the balcony and there was this girl from this Colombian street punk band, I forgot what they were called, they were so good though, and she was... Um, she had found the only uh, outlet she could find which was where like this big fan was plugged in. She'd unplugged the exhaust fan and plugged in a hairdryer and she was spiking her hair in her reflection on a 40 bottle. Oh my fucking God. And it was like- It's beautiful. The punkest thing I've ever (laughs) seen. And my friend Bill went over and was like, hey, do you want to use my bathroom where there's light and a mirror and like plenty of outlets? And she was just like, that would be great. But like, she was like on the ground, just like looking like, trying to catch the light on the 40 bottle and like make sure all her liberty spikes were tight and it was i was just like this is fucking this is this is why i'm punk that's so i could see some like just like tough lady spiking her hair in a 40 bottle yeah. the fucking floor at sea squat so important <laughs> yeah. so important to look good and like i never thought twice about and i would definitely have these funny arguments with my mom where i'd be like i don't care about fashion and she'd be like what are you talking about you you spike your mohawk every day yeah and you wear like very specific clothes and i'm i'm not criticizing you for caring about fashion but just don't lie about it but i had this notion that like i'm punk and, I don't, and that's for squares i don't like it yeah um but yeah i don't know that stuff it's mad buns to just like not let someone try to look good that's all that's my thesis what do you do with your hair on tour is it hard to like does it get all tangled up and stuff? Yeah, like I have like so I have like really really incredibly thick hair yeah. and um like a year ago I decided to get an undercut and my friend fucked it up and shaved like half of my head up to my crown because my hair is like so thick and she was yeah. like it'll be fine and she like 
fucking buzzed it. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. like, I cried. It was like so bad. So that's like growing out. So I've had to like wash my hair a lot more. Uh-huh. Also, my hair is just like kind of gross in general. <laughs> like yeah. it just gets really gross. So I think this is the first tour I'm going to go on and bring shampoo and conditioner. And I'm also going to bring a blow dryer and I'm going to bring a straightener and I'm going to bring some hair accessories. Yeah, bring it all. Yeah. <laughs> There's room in the van. Yeah, exactly. Who are you playing with in New York? Um, so Nader from Harem is uh-huh. booking our show and he, I forgot the bands that he told me. I can't remember. Not Harem. They're so cool. <laughs> yeah, they're so, like, seeing them was insane to me. Like, yeah. seeing a band that's, like, speaking in my dad's native language uh-huh. blew my fucking mind. I was just like, this is insane. Yeah. Um, and also, like, seeing somebody that has like similar features to you uh-huh. is crazy too like because in Austin I mean there are a lot of Arabs here in Austin at UT it is a great school and a lot of people come here and that's like why my dad did but like they're not in the punk scene really there are more now but um, it was just really cool seeing another punk that is Arab mm-hmm. that speaks Arabic I don't speak Arabic um, like play this type of music you know it was just like insane like I almost cried when I saw them the first time because that literally just sounded like my dad but in the sickest possible way you know also seeing them at the fest was watching the people around me uh who like can't identify the sound of Arabic uh, just from hearing it feel confused (laughs) that's amazing and like I wouldn't say anyone was like seemed irate or like they had a fucked up attitude or anything but just like watching people from here uh kind of like that are involved in punk here kind of like just like work out whether they just can't understand what he's saying and then like watching the series of expressions on their face like was this like a made-up language and then like yeah kind of realizing i saw i like watched a dude whisper oh it's arabic (laughs) and i was like yeah it's so cool it's a very specific dialect too. Mm-hmm. That I that I have no idea. About. Yeah, like he, like the the crazy thing about Arabic and the thing that like a lot of people don't understand that aren't Arabic or don't know about the Arabic language is that it's not just like Arabs and oh you're all Arab and you're all like right. there are different countries. Yeah. And so my dad is from Algeria okay. and Algeria was colonized by France. Right. And so his Arabic is totally different than everybody else's Arabic because of the infliction that French had on sure. their dialect. So I've had so many like Lyft drivers or whatever like rideshare drivers who like pick me up and they see my name and they're like Faiza. Faiza, do you know what your name is? And I'm like, yes, I know what my name is. And they're like, it's Arabic. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, where are you from? And I was like, well, my dad is from Algeria. And they're like, oh, I'm from here. And they're like, yeah, we can't understand you. And I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's cool. It's, it's interesting. It's like, I think the coolest experience in Austin for me is getting, and I know this sounds really weird, is getting ride shares and meeting Arabic people and them talking to me about their experiences here and then like asking me about my family in this very genuine mm-hmm. sincere way and because I'm not in like my dad was but I'm not in like the Arabic community so sure. it's like my little like you know infiltration into the community 
like I, I went to like the, a mosque for the first time when my dad died and oh, like whoa. yeah it was insane like because he's from Algeria Algeria is a little more liberal than some Arabic countries so my dad's best friend Mohammed was like putting together the service and me and my sister were like well are we gonna like have to wear like feels like are we gonna have to cover everything up and he's like no 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 then like that's not that's not how it is no 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 but the mosque that we went to, um, the imam there is from Bangladesh, and he is super conservative. So it was like the type of thing where when my dad, like a Muslim burial, they bury you like 24 hours after you die. You don't have a casket. They wrap you. The, um, people actually pour dirt on your body. But we couldn't because we were women. We can't even, I can't even go to where my dad is buried in Austin and step foot on the gravesite or they will, like, fine us. You can't? We, no. Even if you, like, put on a, a mm -hmm. head covering or anything? No, we had to wear head covers. We, ha we had to cover our bodies from head to toe. I had to go into a mosque, which I had never been into. I'd yeah. never experienced that. It was uh, segregated, so women were on one side, men were on the other. Um, and then we went to the burial site where they tried to make me, my mom, and my sister, who were the only women there, stand about 50 feet from even where the graveyard was. Jesus. And my sister was straight up like, fuck this shit. <laughs> I'm fucking walking over there. Yeah. And so, uh, so me and her walked over there, and my sister actually walked to like where he was being buried and you know all of the men doesn't matter if you're five or 500 you can go and help bury the man yeah but if you're a woman you can't fucking step foot so the iman actually grabbed my sister and was like if you don't remove yourself right now it's gonna be a two thousand dollar fine you need to remove yourself who's who does that fine like the mosque so she would have to pay the mosque yeah how do they enforce that i have no clue yeah they I have no clue. I haven't been back since. Yeah, 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 of course. Because I'm like, I don't want to fuck this up. Like, Yeah, no, that seems so stressful. Yeah, and there's like all of these weird rules. Like my dad was here illegally, but he had a social security card and like he paid taxes, but it was all fake. Um, and if they ever like found out that he was illegal, like he wouldn't be able to be buried there. And like... There's a lot. Of yeah, he also like didn't... He drank and like... Yeah fucking did not follow the Muslim religion, but he was right. Muslim um, in America, and if they found that out, he would be removed from there. Jesus. So I'm pretty yeah. sure Just no one from that mosque is listening. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah. Um, I don't think I have that many, like, conservative Muslim listeners. Yeah. I don't think I have many religious people listening, mm -hmm. so I think we're set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's good. Yeah. Do you feel any... And, like, forgive me if this is, like, a dumb or bad question, but, like, are you nervous about traveling now, even just within the U.S., with, like... Oh, yeah. Like, what's going on? Like, are you nervous about getting pulled over or something while you're on tour? Um, I'm nervous about that, but, like, I'm nervous every day. So, like, I don't drive. Uh -huh. And so I just take ride shares or, like, my partner will drive me places. And... I am so nervous that's because when you're taking your ride share, your name shows up. And like, if I get into the car, you know, I don't look like a typical Arab, right. but like, it's when anytime I get into a ride share, no matter what, no matter if it's an Arabic person or not, they say Faiza. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh, what is, what's your name? Yeah. And it's just like this automatic response where I go, oh, I'm Arabic. And I was actually talking to my partner about this, like, 
I need to like cut that shit out because I'm scared that I'm going to get into a car with like some fucking insane person yeah. that's driving for ride shares that's going to do something fucked up to me because I say oh I'm Arabic yeah. Yeah. or just like slyly ask me you know like they'll just make small talk like oh well, where where's your family from like what do they do here just like infiltrate information and just get inherently mad when I'm in the car and like yeah assault me or something that's definitely something that I'm scared about for sure and I've actually been thinking about that for like the past like two years like because it's your name is that your full name is on yeah the app anybody can see who they're picking up yeah and like make whatever judgments about you that they're gonna make mm-hmm. according to their shitty ethos yeah um yeah that's fucked I didn't even think about that I would probably be the person when we got pulled over that would get quite I mean the, you know that when I was when we, I was traveling back from Iceland I got yeah. interrogated by the US uh, customs and I, I don't know I'm I, like I'm kind of used to it but I'm yeah. kind of not like because I was raised by my mom I very much identify with being Mexican American uh-huh. but then I very much identify with being Arabic you know too so it's like it's this weird balance to me where like I don't know if people are going to come from this side or come from that side to try to attack me yeah but my name is Arabic so right. like very clearly yeah yeah to, I mean I guess some people probably are just dumb and don't know any Arabic people and might not mm-hmm. read your name and know where you're from but or like not where you're from you're from Texas yeah you know what I mean where your uh, where your name comes from the culture that your name originates in yeah I had a really weird thing happen to me the other day at this opening for this art show this guy comes up to me and like he's like talking to a friend of mine and I was like oh hey I'm FaZa by the way let's just give you some insight into just what a name will do yeah and he was like Oh, Faza, 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 like just like kept saying it. And he was trying to for me to be like, oh yeah, it's this, or oh yeah, it's that, to like give up my ethnicity, but I like wasn't gonna do it. Yeah, well, and yeah. and then he just like kept saying it, and I was like, this is getting annoying. And I was like, yeah, it's Arabic. And he was like, oh cool. Do you know what the word Habib means? And I looked at him, and he was like, it means beloved. And I just walked away. Yeah. Which. That's not what Habib means, by the way. Right. <laughs> it just means, like, friends, like... But, like, I was just like, what the fuck? Who are you? Yeah. You just met... You Who just met me. You? Yeah. So I've had that happen to me, and then there, when we when my work was on Cesar Chavez, there was this Mexican food restaurant that was right next door, and we would go over there for lunch all the time. And then there was this white woman that was, like, obviously, like, a tourist in the city, and she was, like, so engaged in all, like, the Mexican pastries that were out that, like, were the prepackaged kind yeah. that say, like, you know, pan dulce, but then it says, like, bread under it or something. Right. <laughs> so it says, like, the English and, and, and Spanish word, and she's pointing into it and she was like oh what is this and she would just look at me uh, and I just wouldn't respond and she was like what is this one and I picked it up and I was like bread and she was like oh I didn't see that there and it's like also why the fuck are you profiling me like yeah. you don't know who the fuck I am like you asking me anything god but I will say that things like that happen like very minimally now uh-huh. but I but again, I've been in this bubble in Austin that yeah. has all kinds of people. So I don't know what the Midwest will bring me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've been to the Midwest on tour or not? I have. Um, but I feel like I'm a lot more angry now. Yeah. So. <laughs> and things are up. And other people 
people that we don't like are a lot more angry too. Exactly. And a lot uh, bolder about expressing their anger. Yeah. Well, now they have. Now they've gotten the okay that it's okay to be racist. So right. Like they're yeah. like fuck yeah. You got the check. Yeah. This is all the stuff we say in private. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fucking awful. I have something that I want to say yes. that I think is important. Um, so when bands go on tour, they always come to Austin, they always come to Houston, and they always come to Dallas. Uh-huh. They almost always skip over San Antonio. Uh-huh. They very rarely go to McAllen. Uh-huh. They never go to Corpus Christi. All of these cities are cities that have brown punks in them, and people that are in punk bands shouldn't just play for white punks. They should uh-huh. pay for people that are marginalized in the community. And so if you're going on tour, play Corpus Christi, yeah. play McAllen, play San Antonio. Like These cities are trying really hard to like make their scene good, but they're only as good as the people that support them. So you have to support those people mm-hmm. in order to lift them up. And like, isn't that the reason why you're... We're all in? punk? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's tight. That's very important. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Don't cool. just play for white punks. Don't just play for white punks. <laughs> all right. Punks on dope. Mom and dad moved to Hollywood. Hang myself when I get enough rope. I can't clean up though, I know I should. White punks on dope. White punks on dope. White punks on dope. White punks on dope. Okay, thank you, and I'm sorry, as usual, for the singing. Um. Why do I keep doing it if I apologize for it every time? Doesn't that make my apology disingenuous? The answer is yes. It's fun. I'm not actually sorry. I'm just being self-deprecating in the tradition of a uh, Jew, uh, my people. Anyway, uh, thank you to The Tubes for writing that song in 1975, for coming from Scottsdale, Arizona, where my grandma is currently living. Bernice, thank you to you too. Bernice, great lady. Truly, she will never hear this, I imagine, uh, unless I burn her a CD of it and mail it to her at the old folks' home. But you know what? Maybe I'll do that. Why not? Um, Thank you to Pat Ganley, my editor, my main man in Radioland, for making this all sound good. Thank you to Faiza for doing the interview. For real, girl, you are the shit. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you to La Cara Occulta from Gainesville, Florida, for um, inadvertently writing the theme song to my podcast years before uh, it was even a twinkle in my eye and um, that's it that's everything uh, I I I don't I don't I don't I'm not gonna yeah, yeah I'm still shook about the fucking world uh, it's a terrible place that we live um, everything is worse and worse every day there is very little hope and I am so sad um I did start going to AA because of how sad I was, and I highly recommend anybody. I'd, I've been uh, off booze for many years, as is well documented. Um, never did a 12-step thing. I highly recommend if you're a sober person who started freaking out after the election and you don't know what to do with yourself, maybe go back to a meeting or go to a meeting for the first time or something. It's pretty cool. Um, 
really nice to be able to talk to people that are also addicts about the ways that I'm freaking out and the ways that feeling powerless is triggering um, of my addiction. Sorry to get so serious, but um, that's my PSA. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's it. I, I guess. Um, sorry for making it awkward. And uh, if you listen this far, I appreciate it. Next month, we're gonna have my friends John and Megan from Street Eaters uh, doing a a reissue of an older interview that was cut down to about fifteen minutes for the radio. We're gonna do the full length interview with minor editing for making it sound better or whatever. Uh, but that should be cool. They're both really cool and smart, and I love them. And yeah, I don't know. The world's scary. Get, have your friends backs shit is so fucking awful and we got to take care of each other and that's all that i really got to say no cops no creeps peace in the pizzeria i'm out